You're listening to the Grow Further Podcast, dedicated to helping you on your journey to get from where you are now to where you want to be. I'm Christy. I'm Ellie. And we are your hosts. Grow further with us, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Grow Further Podcast. This is Chris. We really appreciate you coming back for part two of Dr. Harriet Lerner. In case you missed part one, that's totally okay. You still can learn quite a bit from listening today. I would recommend you listening to part one. But if you're just jumping in, you don't know who Dr. Lerner is, highly recommend you going to her website, HarrietLerner.com, to learn more about her. But she's a New York Times bestselling author. Brene Brown considers her a mentor and a hero. And she's personally one of Ellie and my heroes as well. She has written some amazing books that are game changers, has been game changers for me. And we had the opportunity to sit down and talk to her. And part two, we dive in to what it takes to apologize and why there are just some people that won't apologize. And I'm looking forward to you diving into this. I want you to come in with an open mind, get curious about yourself, get curious about your relationships with others. And I can guarantee you that you're going to learn something to enhance the relationships with those that you love, lead, work with, or serve. So let's get to it. Here's part two of Dr. Harriet Lerner. You know, earlier you mentioned that it takes a level of self-worth, you know, and and you have to have a a strong level of self-worth in order to apologize. Could we dive into that a little bit? Because I think that's dancing all around this question that I've had, which is why can't some people apologize? For many people, it's hard to apologize because it makes them feel weak and vulnerable. This tends to be more true for men than for women, Mm. but there are many exceptions. So many people will say, um, especially in a work situation, I don't want to apologize. It feels like I'm losing something. It feels like I'm putting my head on the chopping block. It feels like I'm giving the other person a competitive edge. It feels like it's just going to unleash more anger and criticism while I do it. Exactly. And actually, you know, it's interesting because many fathers tell me that. Fathers will tell me when I was doing this research, I don't apologize to my kids because it just makes me look weak to them. This this is so wrong. Um, you know, kids have a very strong sense of justice. At any age, children have a strong sense of justice. And children suffer when a parent does not validate what they know to be true and can say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. So you need enough self-worth to be able to, ha- to have the courage to be vulnerable. And it's interesting because if we look at the, the, um, the person who can never apologize, I don't know if you have any of these people in your life, I think we all um, do, Harriet. (laughs) We all do. And, you know, some people, most people, I'd say, who work with me in therapy will say, you know, I really never heard my mother apologize or my father. And it's very easy to apologize for a small thing. Anyone can apologize for a small thing. 
If you spill red wine on your friend's carpet, I mean, you're automatically going to say, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. So sorry. I did that. You know, can I pay the cleaning bill? You know, let me get up and help you clean it off. The larger the harm, the more difficult it is to apologize. It's really difficult because then a real apology, if you've really hurt a person badly, then you have to sit on the hot seat. It's not enough to say, I'm sorry. You have to really listen to the hurt and pain of the, of the, you know, the person that you offended for as long as it takes and put aside your defensiveness and really open up your heart and really get it, really listen without defensiveness. And we are wired for defensiveness. Humans are wired to defend ourselves. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it preserves a protective way to shield our self-worth but it gets us into a lot of trouble. Because when we listen defensively, I'm going to teach you something very important about listening, because it's so important for leadership, whether it's leadership of a family or a workplace, that because we're wired for defensiveness, when someone says to us, we have to talk, you know, those words that we know it's coming. Uh Uh-oh. Catastrophizing. Exactly. Our automatic set point is to listen defensively. When we listen defensively, we automatically listen for the exaggerations, the uh, inaccuracies, so that we can correct them and we can make our case. We automatically listen for what we don't agree with. And we need to make a shift. We need to try to have the intention to listen only for what we can really get and wrap our brain around and listen for that part first and save our defense for another conversation. So even if you believe you're only 42% to blame, that you really enter the conversation if someone is criticizing you, to only listen for what you can truly understand. Right. So when people say, you always do this, you do this every time, that's one of the easiest ways I can say, no, there was this one time. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I call that the get out of jail free card. But what I'm hearing you say, Harriet, is that even when somebody is saying that, Try to look for the the meat of it. Like, what is the person really saying? Let's give them a little bit of grace so that I can make sure that I can show up and take accountability, even if it's only 12% or 30. Exactly. So if the person is saying to you, you know, you always come home late for dinner or, you know, you're always late with these assignments that you're really trying to get the the essence of what the person is saying and apologize for that first. And then after that, or in a different conversation, 
you, of course, you may need to mention, you know, I don't always do that. And it makes it harder for me to apologize when, you know, when I, when I feel that, that the facts are being exaggerated. What about the non-apologizer? Some people will never apologize. I'm sure you have one or two in your family. A couple people just came to mind. Yep, me too. <laughs> right. Like, I want to call them after this. <laughs> right. And we hope that person is not us. Um, actually, right. we have very difficult people in our family and in our workplace, really difficult people. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting how that person is never us. Anyway, some people will never Good apologize. Point. The greater the harm, the less likely the apology will be forthcoming. In order to offer a heartfelt apology for something really, really serious harm, a person needs to have a solid platform of self-worth to stand on. And from standing on that solid platform of self-worth, that person can look out at their bad behavior or their mistakes and they can apologize. And the reason they can really listen and get it and apologize is because of that platform of self-worth, because they can see their mistakes as part of a much larger, complex, and ever-changing person of who they are as a human being. All of us are better and larger and more complicated than the worst things that we've ever done. But some mm -hmm. people, and especially people who've done serious harm, if you have people in your family who have really, really hurt you, maybe it was 20 years ago, maybe it was a week ago, um, but those people may stand on a small rickety platform of self-worth. And these people are, they're just unable to put their defensiveness on a shelf. They're unable to, to really get the hurt that they've caused because doing so to really get it threatens to flip them into an identity of worthlessness and shame. So the okay. non-apologizer non walks on a tightrope of defensiveness above a huge canyon of low self-esteem. Mm. Can I ask powerful. you a question? It is so powerful. And I just want to pause on this for a minute. For all of our listeners right now, Harriet, they're going to be listening to this and they might be asking themselves, how would I know what my level of self-worth is? That's a very complicated question. <laughs> <laughs> could we have another meeting where we... Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. We could just no, talk I about mean, that, it, right? It is such an interesting question. How do we know if we have self-worth? And sometimes it's something that we really feel. I mean, you can feel it. I mean... Ideally, if your behavior is really aligned with your principles and your priorities and values, that's going to help you to have a solid platform of self-worth. But, you know, I, I think your question is so complicated because so many people have a sort of pseudo platform of self-worth and they're, you know, they're right. all overcompensated, right. Make Me. it more grandiose than it really is to mm -hmm. hide. Exactly. Mm -hmm. exactly. 
You know, what I'm hearing you say though, Harriet, what I what I kind of picked up from the conversation is that in the context of apologizing, one of the ways that you might understand that you have uh, a degree of self-worth is that you don't feel like you are defined by the mistakes that you make. Exactly. You're, you are not the mistakes that you make. And therefore you can apologize for those human moments because they're part of a bigger picture of who you are. That is so perfectly and beautifully said. You You got it. Because the more we have a rickety platform of self-worth or the more we're just very anxious, you know, when we're anxious, it's impossible to really listen well when we have an overheated nervous system. So that's another thing that makes it very hard to listen to criticism and makes us very defensive if we're, we're just in fight flight. You know, we're mammals, right? We're mammals and we are wired for fight flight. So it just takes a little bit of anxiety or stress and we have a flight response. We distance, we cut off, we disconnect. So we have a flight response or we have a fight response. We get polarized, we divide into opposite camps. We get overfocused on what the other person is doing wrong. We are underfocused on our own options to limber up our brain and get creative and figure out how to de-intensify the situation. This is being human. We get fight flighted. So we have to calm ourselves down first, or we won't be able to apologize well, we won't be able to listen well, we won't be able to put our defensiveness on the shelf, we will overtalk things, or we will shut down entirely. And that is the dilemma of being human. Harriet, I'm loving everything that you're saying. As we start to wrap this up, what are maybe three things that our listeners can walk away with? Because there's been a lot you know, that we've mentioned already. And anybody that's taking notes out there, they probably have at least 20 things that they could do in order to get better at apologizing, taking accountability, and repairing our relationships. First thing, go over all your notes and pick out one or two things that you're going to practice. And I say one or two things because when people try to do too much, they tend to do it just doesn't work well. So think small and pick a thing or two that you're really going to do and practice it. Everything worth doing requires practice. So practice, practice, practice. And the next thing that comes to mind is calm yourself down. You won't think clearly when you have an overheated nervous system and you're feeling very intense. So learn ways to calm yourself down. And because you won't always be able to calm yourself because you're a human, strike when the iron is cold. In other words, if you're feeling very intense and angry, that's not the time to go in to someone on your team and confront them. Harriet, we really have been appreciating and loving this conversation. I think all of our listeners will really resonate with some of the things that we talked about. We would like to ask you just two fire round questions, uh, really just to get to know you a little bit better. So 
Christy, first question. I get question. to ask the fun one where we literally talk about fun. What do you do for fun? Actually, what I do for fun, well, mundane, boring things like cappuccino in the morning. My hey. husband, Steve, always makes me a cappuccino. That's I wonderful, love- Steve. Yeah, everyone needs a Steve. And I walk and talk with friends and I do a lot of evening Netflixing. Ooh. Ooh. Listening, I'm watching Call My Agent. It's a series. What else do I do? We need to write that right now. (laughs) I know. Thank you for asking. I was going to ask you, Harriet. What what are you watching? Call My Agent. Yeah, okay. Netflix. Let's see what else. I read. I take a walk. I mean, really, all the usual boring things. And, you know, this, I, I don't have to, you know, tell people that this is such a, a difficult time and people are having a lot of trouble having fun and it's normal to be depressed and anxious and feel like you're slogging through the day and wondering why you're not accomplishing more when we have more free time supposedly and mm-hmm. anyway so I do you know the usual mundane things for fun but now is a great time to have those kinds of hobbies and to really be able to find joy in those things. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. So Harriet, what advice, if you could offer one piece of advice to our leaders to help them to bring their personal best each day to home or work, what would your piece of advice to that be? Oh, so much advice comes to mind. It's so hard to think of one piece of advice. I would say to really have self-compassion, to realize that, you know, you're a human and that you are going to get fight flighted and you are going to be in relationships where the relationship is too distant or the relationship is too intense or you've screwed it up and that that's what it means to be a person and that you can do your best to repair it. And I think if we don't have compassion for ourselves and realize how very imperfect we are, it's it's hard to have compassion for other people. So I guess I would say that. That was perfect and beautiful. And I think something that we all need to remind ourselves, we need to give ourselves a little bit more grace sometimes, but absolutely. And Harriet, last but not least, how can our listeners connect with you, stay connected with you, find out more? The best way is to simply Google me and you'll find my website, harrietlunar.com. I'm on Instagram. Wonderful. And also, I think that we really do get a glimpse of who you are um, through your through your books, The Dance of Anger, uh, Why Won't You Apologize? And, you know, it's been such a pleasure to spend time with you. So, you know, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Really, it's my honor. It's my pleasure to talk to your leaders. Leaders have so much influence um, on the functioning of the team and the emotional climate of the workplace. And so it's a great honor for me. Thank you so much. We appreciate you helping us to bring the human to development because that's what we really care about is helping all of us be better humans and, and bring our personal best each day. So thank you for giving us some tools to do that and a little bit more self-awareness 
towards when we don't. <laughs> Thank exactly. you, Ellie and Christy. It's really been great. Thank you for listening to the Grow Further podcast. If you'd like to help us grow further, please subscribe. And don't forget to let us know what you thought of today's episode.